I never let myself get close to anyone. You only end up getting hurt. Don't push it, Ebony. I'm trying to help. We don't need your help. So just back off. Look, this wasn't my fault. Maybe not. But don't pretend you care. Just leave us alone. You guys have got me all wrong. I liked them. I liked both of them. Welcome to Series 2, Episode 1 of Conversation on Eagle Mountain, a podcast about the tribe. I'm your host, Lance, and joining me on the podcast panel today is Liz. Hello. Sabine. Hi. Maggie. Hi. And Colin. What up? With episode notes done by Matt and myself. So, Series 2, Episode 1, the screenplay was done by David Fox. It was directed by Costa Boats, and the episode synopsis were read out by Sabine. The Mollerats discover that there's an antidote to the virus, but their joy is short-lived when an explosion at Eagle Mountain has tragic consequences. In their grief, Tysan rallies the tribe to return to the city to search for the antidote that should save all their lives. Although Ebony has her own reasons for wanting it. Meanwhile, a new tribe spots a satellite in the sky and begin a journey of their own. Okay, so guys, before we jump into the meat of the episode, what was your first impressions on hearing the new vocals to The Dream Must Stay Alive in the opening credits? And did you like originally spot the difference? Yeah, I did notice there was a difference between the original opening credits and these, mm-hmm. but it was more of a, there's something different about this. Why is there something different about this? <laughs> Took me a while to figure out that uh, Meryl was singing uh, the song now. I honestly don't think I noticed until season three. Mm. I think it's because I had to, I bought like the, the soundtrack and um, I was, because I started with like one of the later seasons. So I didn't, I was kind of watching three seasons simultaneously, almost out of order. And it wasn't until I bought the soundtrack that I realized, wait a second, there was somebody who sang it differently the first season. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't notice right away. <laughs> it took me a while. Yeah, I didn't notice it too much when I first um, listened to it. I just thought they kind of just revamped it a little bit, like a different pace. I didn't realize it was a uh, uh, mural until like season four. <laughs> I probably didn't notice right away either. Um, I know when I was looking through our questions earlier, I asked uh, my boyfriend if he noticed anything differently. And he said that he thought it sounded familiar. But he wasn't sure exactly what it was. And I told him and he was like, yep, that's it. It's nice to be able to ask it from someone who's watching it for the first time. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> you know, I think it would have helped all the fans to realize that it was a different singer if they would have changed the the intro entirely, like the visuals of it. Yes. Because I didn't notice mm-hmm. just because it was the same beach scene mm-hmm. they've had on every single, all 52 episodes of season one. Yep, same so, song and everything. Yeah, yeah. I was a little mm-hmm. disappointed that they still kept the same intro, but I'm like, oh, this sounds different, kind of. I, I can't put my finger on it. Yeah, but back then it was normal not to have a new intro shot for every season of a show, unlike nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I didn't even know that Meryl could sing. I didn't know that was something she did. So why would I assume, you know, that that's her? I didn't know for a while. 
I think, yeah, that's, that's what makes it a little bit weird because they didn't change any of the visuals, but they just changed mm-hmm. the, the vocalists. It's, it does, it's got like kind of what's that uh, uncanny valley feel. It's weird. Like, yeah, um, yeah. Isn't quite right. Like, yeah. I wish they had changed the visuals just a little bit. It's just, just a bit off. <laughs> it just feels off because it's something, you know, something's different. I kind of wonder now when you hear, I don't know about you guys, but um, the only copy i've ever heard of the dream must stay alive has been sung like the entirety of the song has been um sung by meryl um i've only heard portions of it sung by rosalind well it's just i i never like if you you know when you're in season one even the end credits only play half the song sung by her Mm. and um but if you bought bought the soundtrack you have the song is much longer it has another verse and everything sung by Meryl, so I kind of wonder, like, maybe that's why they did it, because they wanted to, I don't know, expand the song or something? There was a whole song, yeah, sung by Rosalind, but then Meryl took over in season two. Hmm, I wonder why they did it then. Yeah, that's an interesting question, because I actually don't know. I've tried to look online. Um, no one knows. It's not mentioned at all. Um, I don't know if it was... I mean, was, was that when she decided she wanted to pursue singing? Maybe, yeah. I don't but I mean, there's plenty of other songs that they could have her sing, yeah. and that she does sing. So why record that one over again? I don't know. Yeah, that's just so weird. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that Meryl does a bad job. It's just oh no, yeah. Maybe maybe they were kind of thinking that Ebony is about to be the star of the season, so <laughs> let's make it all about her. <laughs> that's not far wrong. That's not. That's not <laughs> 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 Ebony does get a lot of prominence in season two. Yes. yes. <laughs> she gets a lot of prominence i think from here on out really mm-hmm. yeah there is an antidote all the major cities have it there were plans for worldwide manufacture but the virus spread too quickly some of us escaped we thought we may have been spared we haven't been. save yourselves find the antidote and may god go with you so we kick off right from the end of season one with the recorded message at eagle mountain that reveals that not only is there a working antidote, but that it can be found in all the major cities. However, the virus spread too quickly for mass production. And this is where it gets a bit weird for me, because what did you personally think of this announcement? Because I thought it was quite weird how, like, the the antidote had been already shipped to every single major city. Because wouldn't that imply that there would be some adults who would have taken it and that they would have survived? Yeah, it does imply that. I never thought about it like that, actually. As I'm reading through this, I'm like, oh. <laughs> if they needed to have tested it on someone to know it was a working antidote. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thing, yeah. And then they realized it worked so well that they managed to ship it to every major city. So, yeah. Maybe they didn't do human testing yet. I don't, maybe they were just doing animal testing. And I, I don't know. That's a good one. Yeah, but at that point, you don't know it's a working antidote if you haven't tested it on humans. I know. I'm just saying that that's a good question. That's why I hate calling it the antidote. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea why they mass produced something that they had no proof that it even worked. And it just, I mean, I don't mind the antidote storyline in general, but I don't like the way it's introduced. None of this makes any sense. And it's really, I just, I don't. I get it. It's all rushed. We have to get our kids back to the city so we can get the storyline going. But it doesn't make any sense that this stuff would be mass produced and just be shipped to all the major cities when it clearly didn't save any adults. Hmm. And 
it's like, why did you make this? Why did you, you, I understand if you were testing it, but if it wasn't saving anybody, why did you make a whole bunch of it? Like, what are you doing? Why would, I don't get it. And the whole, you know, we thought we saved ourselves, but it turns out we didn't. But you go find this stuff. Why? Why send mm-hmm. them out to find something that clearly didn't save you? What are you doing? None of this makes sense. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. It's stupid. It's like, it's not an antidote. <laughs> it's not an antidote. Just some, some liquid that looks like pee. <laughs> I still say it looks like Mountain Dew. Well, it yeah, does it look like Mountain Dew. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you keep thinking about the whole antidote storyline, obviously it's going to not make sense the more times you think about it. But initially, just watching it, listening to that voice comes on, come on in that chamber that they are, it felt amazing. It felt like a traditional like sci-fi story, like really beginning its quest to to save the world or to you know save people across the city Mm -hmm. but it did make me hopeful that maybe some adults had survived no clue where they are now but maybe some of them did surely if there was an antidote someone would have taken it i was able to just let the antidote thing slide even though i just it didn't make sense to me (laughs) the one thing i couldn't i still can't let slide is right after they have this announcement jack and dal have to go check the generator jack out of nowhere says well, I know where the antidote is. It's in one of these three buildings. And I'm like, Jack, if you thought these buildings were important, why didn't you suggest checking them out before dragging people 30 miles away from the city? Right? No, no, he said, he said he found these in the computer at Eagle Mountain. Yeah, I was sure? going to say. Was it? Are you sure? Yeah. You yeah, it was suddenly thrown in. Okay. All right, then. Because all these years, I'm like, Jack, you already knew these buildings existed. You're forgiven, what sir. The no, no, it, it did come out of nowhere. So all of a sudden, he like, oh, he had this piece of paper yeah. that he's got on, and he was like, oh, yeah, we can check the building maps now. and everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, he had to have printed new maps because all his maps were taken. <laughs> My point is, they leave us at the end of season one where mm-hmm. there's nothing. They didn't find anything at Eagle Mountain except a satellite. Jack is sitting at the computer completely dejected and all of a sudden they open up with this major message and apparently Jack's gotten all this information off the computer and I'm like, wait, 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 slow the frig down, slow your rolls. (laughs) You're throwing way too much at us. Yeah, no, I agree, yeah. But that's how I feel about this episode and I don't like the pace at all. Um, And and I really do like season two. I think it's like the best like when it comes to writing and stuff, but I do not like the pace of this introduction to it. It's too quick. It doesn't give it a chance to breathe. It throws a bunch of random information at you that's almost kind of like a retcon of what literally just happened. And I'm like, we don't have any time to absorb any of it. Anything that happens, I, I don't think it was a good introduction to the season. I absolutely agree. I agree. Do you think that's in part because of what's about to happen to the two major characters? They suddenly had to make this suddenly rush. It's quite possible, yeah. Definitely. Possibly, yeah. I'm sure that's what... I sure there's a lot of things that came into play that made them rush. You know, like, they had to establish, you know, well, you know, Amber's replacement. They had to establish her very quickly because she had to immediately mm-hmm. step into those shoes. I get that. They had to establish the Chosen very quickly. I get that. But I still think there were things they could have held off on a little. They didn't have to establish everything they do in this episode. It could have been a good transition episode. And then you can pick up the pace right after that. But this is the first episode after, you know, an entire season of just very slow 
moving, steady Star Trek kind of pace. And then you just hit us with Star Wars and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's it's kind of crazy to think about how many episodes are per season of the tribe. And then yet they still try to rush everything <laughs> they show you. <laughs> So yeah, the um, the pace of the opening is very very fast because um, no sooner do we learn about the antidote that a puberty hit Jack suddenly knows where it must be found and the generator observatory explodes, causing the Morats to scramble in a desperate attempt to escape. And sadly, it is in this aftermath that we find out that Amber and Zandra are dead. So yeah, a couple of questions here, panel. Um, yeah, how did you react in general to the fast pace of these opening scenes? Do you think that the explosion? The chaos of the explosion was effectively portrayed. And yeah, how do you feel about Amber and Zandra dying? Oh, that's a difficult one. It's, um, I think it was a shame that we couldn't see more of what happened during the explosion. You know, um, I get why they couldn't show us the bodies, but still. And there's so many tiny little things to do with this that annoyed me. Like Celine attempting to send Ryan back in to find more people. Well, two seconds later, people are holding back Lex from rushing back in. You know, why would it be too dangerous for Lex, but not for Ryan? And yeah, it's just, it's, it's going a bit too fast for me. I just, I wish we could have seen more, but it did show us what, what kind of chaos it was. Mm -hmm. And then losing these characters was really, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say it was unexpected, because if you have an explosion that size, something is bound to go really wrong. Yeah, someone was going to die. Yeah. This really hurt. Yeah. And, you know, there were small hints of who that might be, because, well, they clearly show a couple of people. Yep. But at first I was afraid it was Bray, to be fair. Oh, yeah, first time I watched too, I definitely thought it was Bray. I, I just couldn't imagine they would kill off Amber, you know, not, not knowing Same. the reasons. I couldn't imagine why they would. Sandra, sure, you know, but... Mm -hmm. Can't lie, very little of this had much impact on me. I didn't have a chance for any of it to hit me, because as soon as I was given a bit of information, zoom, we were on to the next thing. So I didn't have a chance to feel anything. It was just like, almost exposition. Like, oh, you know, there's an antidote, there's an explosion, two people are dead, moving on. Yeah, it definitely felt very rushed, especially for the, you know, the importance of the two characters. Um, I felt like they definitely deserved better and deserved more. Mm. Even Zandra. Yeah, 100%. Um, the only thing I was really mad at is just, one, we don't get to see anyone dying. We don't get to see a, a burst of flames going straight into Zandra's face or straight into, um, straight into Amber's face or anything of that nature. But the fact that two characters died, I wasn't necessarily mad at it because w watching season one, I believe that this is a grand journey. Like this journey has to take sacrifices in order for it to mean something. So the fact that they killed off mm -hmm. some characters, I was completely fine with that. I was very sad and I thought the pace was horrible. So because I had to pause the pause the episode and take a few minutes to myself to to you know, to gather my emotions, but I'm completely fine with characters dying off. Yeah, it's sometimes necessary for story growth, you know. And in this mm -hmm. case, absolutely, we expected someone to, someone to die. 
just right, having yeah. it happen the way that it did and, and the pace that it did and it just kind of felt like an afterthought mm-hmm. but especially how quickly they like move i guess they did have to move back into the city i, I understand and we don't really know how much time has passed i will say though um I I got their like their limitations. They clearly didn't have Beth or Amy there. I get it. They couldn't film it. Couldn't give us a death scene. Fine, but they, you can still make a death poignant even without a death scene. You know what I mean? And I don't think they really took the time to do that. And that's what this episode should have been about: dealing with them being gone and what happens now. What does that mean? Let us sit with the characters and mourn them for a little bit before jumping into the next step. Because it's almost like the episode's telling us that it doesn't matter that they're dead. You know, they use their death, they use like especially Amber's death as an excuse to move the characters forward. Like, oh, well, Amber would mm-hmm. totally have gone back. So we don't have time to actually think about this. We don't have time to be sad. We don't have time to mourn our friends, you know, and take a minute or anything. We're not allowed to do that. We're not allowed to sit with it, with the characters. So it's like, if the script doesn't care that they're dead, why should we care that they're dead? You know, it's, yeah. it's very abrupt and it doesn't feel natural or organic. You feel like, oh, they clearly had to kill those two off, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. again, I understand their limitations, but they definitely could have handled this better, in my opinion. Especially in comparison with how much time they spend on Zoot dying in the first season, you know? Mm-hmm. He got a whole lot more of attention, even though nobody liked him at that time. Or knew anything about it. it. Yeah. Yeah. They were just gone. See ya. Bye. And the characters, if we're lucky, they get to express their hurt maybe once, and then they have to move on. Mm. And I get that in their world, but in the moment, this is a time when you can take some time. I mean, they've only been on this mountain for, like, a night. It's like, let them spend another night dealing with it. You know, I'm just asking for an episode. That's all. Yeah. Give me one episode. To let like understand what's happened and what our characters have to do next, you know, and I'm like they mourned over Glenn harder than you know. Uh-huh. Like, Come mm-hmm. on, guys, give us some time. You didn't have to be. You didn't have to be in the city by the end of this episode. You could have still been on the mountain. The episode could have ended with the characters deciding we're going to go back because it's what Amber or Zondra would have wanted us to do, or blah blah blah. You know, just yeah, give yeah, us just- time. <laughs> And just think about how quickly did they manage to suddenly get back into the city? Oh my god. That's what oh, I'm saying. Yeah, for sure. This is a two-day hike. Grace still mm-hmm. standing at the grave, just standing there. It's still sun's still out, and they're seeing the city over the hill. It's like, what? Yeah. And then he's he <sighs> like, what's that? Take your time. Mm-hmm. What is the hurry? Why do they have to be back in the city by the end of this episode? What is the rush? It's very annoying. Yeah, I agree. Um, I would love to be in that writer's room to, you know, try to understand why they decided to take the route that they went with this episode. And yeah, they didn't give us enough time for us to mourn Amber and Zandra's death, but it also didn't feel like the rest of the characters weren't reacting the way that they should have for their deaths. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people on YouTube, like the YouTube comments were talking about Dale, uh, <laughs> he's barely reacting to Amber's death, and, and Chloe and Patsy are, you know, they're not even shedding like real tears. <laughs> yeah, whereas Cl- little Chloe even prayed for well, suit. 
Yeah, so it's very, uh, it's very interesting. I liked that it was Amber, although I was very sad that it was Amber. Like I was completely sad. Like when these, when Amber and Zander died, I legit paused the episode and played nothing but like Bone Thugs and Harmony and just sad music <laughs> for the next hour. I was like, I can't believe they're dead, but. I actually really love that Zandra and, and Amber died just from the sense of I think the writing was at its best for Amber in season one and obviously for Zandra because she's only been in season one. So to have only that to go off of for their characters kind of always puts them at the peak of their prime in a sense. So it kind of just made me love the characters a lot more to have only thoughts of them doing this, doing great things, maybe doing a little bit of bad things, but but ultimately coming to uh, fruition for who they are as a as a person. We've lost two special friends, two fellow Marets. Amber, so focused, so intelligent, was someone we could look up to, a natural leader. Zandra lived for pleasure, for beauty, and for fun. And these are also good qualities in a person. We have learned so much from both of them, and we have to carry these forward into the future. Let's let's talk about um, that morning, because I know we've all said that it, how rushed it felt, and they didn't take any time to reflect and contemplate. But Because um, Tyson calls an immediate meeting, and she pulls, tries to pull the entire tribe together by saying a few words about Amber and Zandra. Before she launches into an argument with Ebony about going back to the city, and then we have Lex interject and say that they're <laughs> sarcastically referring to them both as our two new leaders. So a few questions here, like what did you make of Tai San's eulogy? And yeah, how did you feel about the prominence of Ebony and Tai San like, in this whole episode? Uh, I hated the eulogy she had for Sandra. <laughs> It was, yeah, I get that there wasn't much more to say about her from Tysan's point of view, but still. That was just pointing out she only lived for beauty and fun. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think she meant it in that negative way. You know, she, she said these are, good, these are good things to want and look yeah. for in life. And um, I thought it was a lovely eulogy. I thought it was thoughtful. I thought it pointed out the best parts of those two characters. Because again, remember, a lot of people considered Sandra an airhead. We yeah. appreciate her yeah. now, but at the time, there were plenty of people who didn't appreciate her. And I when, still you think don't. Of, when you put when you think of what Tyson is saying about Zandra, she's talking to all those people, calling Zandra an airhead, and well, who cares if she's gone because she didn't bring anything to the group? And here's Tyson mm -hmm. saying she may have lived for beauty and fun, but these are important things. But she brought light into our life. So that's why I like it as a eulogy. Um, it's pointing that out that you may have thought Zandra was worthless or whatever, but what she brought to the group was worth something, you know, and it's going to be missed. Uh, I think that's a I didn't like the prominence of Tyson and, uh, Tyson and Ebony, but I think that point, because it feels like an emotional Dutch angle, you just feel something's off, you know? Yeah, with both of them, yeah. And it, it doesn't feel right with those two suddenly kind of calling the shots and trying to decide what happens. Our two remaining leaders are almost comatose with their grief, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I almost kind of felt that I wish Ryan would have said something. Because I felt like if anyone, yeah. he would kind of know Zandra the best. You, you know, yeah. either him or Lex. 
And I don't think Lex not, could have, but Ryan for sure. Not Ryan yeah. isn't a public speaker, though. No, no, he's uh, not. He's not. But, he's not definitely. But I think it would have definitely built more towards his character if he would have, yeah. you know, just shown a little bit more of something. Clearly, he was with Celine at, at at this point in time, but there has to still be old feelings there. Yeah, and it's not even just feelings, but the friendship too. Does that yeah. friendship just not exist anymore? Does he just not care? Mm. Well, see, that's that's what suffers, like. Because they're rushing through this, these characters don't have the time to even talk about how yeah. they feel or say their true goodbyes, you know? Mm. Yeah, I feel that was a missed point, to not have Ryan react to it. I mean, I, do, I understand not seeing anyone cry. I can understand that because when you really think about the timing, it's morning now. The explosion happened right after sunset the night before. These mm. guys have had an entire evening have to search for the bodies of their friends and realize that they were gone and to watch the fire burn out to dig these graves and to come to terms with the fact that holy crap our friends are dead before the sun came up everything mm -hmm. in their life had already changed the te they don't have any tears yet at this point they're just in kind of like an emotional shell shock you know yeah so I, do, I do get some of it you know but i'm like you guys could have taken your time <laughs> Exactly, just a, a little bit more. We're just asking for a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just a touch. <laughs> yeah, but before we get to Dal's reaction, what did you make of Ebony's statement that this is why I never let myself get close to anyone? You only end up getting hurt. Do you think there was some genuine sentence there, or do you think it's just Ebony? It's just Ebony. I think, I think it was just Ebony being Ebony. Ebony having to say something, having to push their buttons in a time of, you know vulnerability trying to you know assert her authority in a sense but i was happy to see her shut down yeah I i'm not sure it was just that though i think it was her way of coping with these things regardless of the way she copes with things maybe that is a sincere sentiment that she has and this isn't the time for her to share it because she doesn't yeah. care that these two people are dead and absolutely I, she does not she doesn't care and she, I agree with Maggie entirely. The only reason Ebony is talking, the only reason she is inserting herself into this situation is because she is trying to get a foothold on these kids so she can use them to get that antidote. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's all she cares about. You know? She knows they're vulnerable and she's preying on them. Come on, Colin. Do you feel that Ebony was being genuine? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think, like, uh, I don't know there's much else to add, but I, I think Ebony... <laughs> is i don't know i mean it's interesting what she said and i completely would agree i mean i would agree with her if i obviously didn't experience what everyone else in the tribe experienced uh what seeing zandra go through what she went through along with uh amber so obviously i have such a sentimental attachment to these characters but if i would have just watched this show from like the beginning of season two knowing like oh wait there's there's a virus out there we have to get the antidote i would do exactly what what ebony's doing like hey all right let's you know we got to keep moving though got lives to save uh, including mine <laughs> yeah like it absolutely is totally in character for for ebony to be this way and to, and to act this way and say these things so you can't be mad at her for that you know but i shut up 
Like, just, just close your mouth, you know? She's <laughs> like, I liked them. I liked both of them. You shut did up. not. Shut up. That's a liar. Okay? <laughs> Cut it out. Two days ago, you were trying to hook up with her man. Stop it. He even sent a posse after her, okay? I want to hear about, oh, I like uh-huh. them. Laying it on real thick. Now's not the time. Yeah. Someone in the comments said that, that uh, there's like a Easter egg or kind of like they kind of already knew what they were doing with Amber's character because they had an eagle flown through the uh, through the sky, which I never realized that before. I just assumed because it was Eagle Mountain. Oh, mm. but, you know, also what what Ebony said about, um, you know, everyone just needs to gather themselves within a hurry and let's go get this antidote. I feel like th- that scene right there is the first block that we're about to see being built for Ebony's amazing character development throughout this season. So we need to talk about Dal. Um, panel, you know my thoughts already about Amber and Dal's so-called friendship, but even so, his, his, his reaction to Amber's death really felt off to me. So we see him snap at Tysan and he blames her for bringing them all here, but he later apologizes he says that everything seems pointless without Amber, but Tyson does convince him to return with them to help find the antidote, as it's what Amber would have done. But yeah, panel, like, how do you feel in general about Dao's reaction to his best friend's death? Um, and yeah, why do you think Tyson has been so eager to find the antidote? I don't think Dao was emotional enough, but maybe he was just emotionally stunted in that moment, you know? Like he couldn't really express himself. Uh, and the lashing out, I think, was was that. But I'm still pretty disappointed in in the way that that whole thing was handled. I feel like none of the characters are actually allowed, including Dao, to express what they're going through. And instead, it's just used as an excuse to get them back to the mall. Mm. Like, this is what yeah. Amber would have done. And so all the characters can have the reason to just keep going because it's what Amber would have done. Yep. And that's as far as we're allowed to feel about it. Yeah, they use the same thing with Bray. I do think Dal snapping at Tyson was something that I could see happening, though. Yeah. You know, he's he's hurt. He's lost the one person he still knew from before, even though they weren't as close as they were back then. And, yeah, I get why he snapped, because he's overwhelmed. Yeah, I think he reached his breaking point, you know? I mean, that was the most tamest snap I've ever seen, but yeah. That's it's from Dal, come on. What, else, what more could you expect I from mean, him? I mean, Dal isn't going to throw a too, Trudy tantrum. No. But, but I mean, if this is your reaction to your best friend dying. I know, but that's why I say, like, maybe his emotions, like he, like I said, at this He's point, Liz, oh, Liz already pointed out, yeah, that it's been so many hours mm. since, since, you know, the explosion happened. And how do we know that they didn't already cry it all out and they're numb at this point. It's my only justification for it, you know? Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah I'm just, I, I, just, I just, I just can't buy them to. I just never have. I, <laughs> I got you, Lance. I got you. Okay, so I have a theory about this. I just thought of a theory. <laughs> what if our... Okay, so really think about this. What if Dale is the most cold-blooded... <laughs> cold-hearted killer in this entire series more than mega right and he lacks any emotion towards anybody and it's not just amber like we hardly ever see him react to anything sad we've only seen him react to rage right 
Like the whole tree no. incident. No, we none of this holds <clears throat> up, Harlan. None of this nope. holds up. When, nope. when, when, nope. Nope. when was the last time we saw him like actually sad? This is the same kid who was willing to put his life on the line just to get Trudy antibiotics. This is a kid who was kicking himself and blaming himself because Trudy was able to get her hands on the sleeping pills and try to kill herself. That doesn't show depression, though. Dal feels emotion. Just because he's not over the top with his emotions like someone like Trudy, he still has emotions. Your theory doesn't hold up at all. It's just a very calm and laid-back individual. But it still it still validates that he is pretty cold-blooded when it comes to these kind no. of things. He's not cold-blooded. He's just been through so much. Which can lead to being cold-blooded. The same with Ebony. No, it doesn't. My God, it's not the same thing, Carlin. Being stoic or you know, being pretty mild-mannered or even-tempered does not mean you're cold-blooded. Mm. No. Everyone expresses their emotions differently, and everyone deals with these things differently. Okay. He's, he's allowed to just, you know, respond, well, snap calmly. <laughs> because for him, that's a lot. Okay, that makes sense. Just darn it out there. Made sense to me, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, just from my point of view, yeah, I think it would be nice for him to have cracked at this point, but just to, just to like show... Like I said, maybe he did mm. crack and we just didn't get to see oh, it. We need to see this. this is a major Which is so point. disappointing. I know, it's so it's, disappointing, and that's why it makes everything feel so rushed. We've lost like, our main character. Like I know, <laughs> I know. It is tragic. <laughs> I had plenty tragic. of emotions about that, but they I weren't the, the same as yours. I think the only one that's even shown any real emotion about Amber is Bray. Like, <sighs> the only ones who have been allowed to show any emotion, like true emotion, mm -hmm. are Lex and Bray. Yeah. I don't know if that's because, you know, they lost their their lovers or, or what it is, but nobody else has really been given that, that opportunity. Also, Bray is we're, the, this is, we're finding out the news at the same time Bray is finding out the news. Yeah. Because Bray's been unconscious this entire time, which, you know, really explains his brain damage going forth. But, <laughs> well, seriously, <laughs> seriously, being unconscious for that long is really yeah. bad. And I know it I is. Know. So, but um, this is the first time he's hearing it. Unlike everybody else who literally has had about 12 hours to deal with this tragedy, Bray's mm -hmm. just finding out. So he does have this huge outpouring of emotion, you know, where everybody else is just kind of numb to it by now. And they've already cried their eyes out and they're just yeah. done. But I, again, I just agree with everybody. This isn't, this isn't the way they should have shown it, you know, because no. we don't, we needed to see this, these emotions. We needed to see these guys mourning their friends because it's just a kick in the teeth. That we don't. And I think, you know, it would have helped us mourn them a little better as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, like to mourn alongside the characters. We didn't get the, to do that in, in this instance. We don't get to mourn. We don't get to say goodbye. We just have to leave the mountain. It, it was just like, really, already? This is, okay. Like, I wasn't, don't think I was ready to go, you know? No. As for Tyson wanting the antidote. I, I can't, I honestly, I'm just, I've been sitting there thinking about it ever since I saw that, saw that question. Mm -hmm. What do I think? What, there's so many things that Tyson's going to do going forward that are confusing to me. I don't know why she wants this antidote because it's an antithesis of how she's felt about this since the beginning. Yes. And 
I only thing I can throw out there, my only theory, and I got nothing to support it really, is that maybe since Tyson really does believe that this is the wrong way to go about this whole thing, yet there's still a sense of her that wants to push everyone her way. You know, maybe she believes if she can get herself hands on the antidote, she can save her friends from themselves. I don't know. I honestly mm. I got nothing for why she's like interested in finding this. She wanted to go to Eagle Mountain for the spiritual journey. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because she dreamt about it. But going back to the antidote, there's nothing guiding her there. So I don't know why she's on board with that at all. <laughs> it just fits in perfectly with my Tyson is evil pl plot. <sighs> but that's about it. It definitely doesn't do any favors. <laughs> yeah. you there's know, no... For her character in my eyes. Like It, it really starts to, to show the cracks in, in certain things about her personality and her beliefs. And I, I just think her character really goes downhill from here. Yeah, this is why I'm so glad Matt put this question in because... I was thinking about it as well. I was like, why is she so hell-bent now on getting the answer that she doesn't even believe in? It's like, it doesn't yeah. quite make sense. Because she's yeah. afraid that, you know, like, if, if they, they get this antidote and they believe in this, that there, there's no chance that she's ever going to get them to, to listen to her or, or believe in her philosophies or, I, I don't know, you know? It definitely feels very selfish. And that's the only way I can explain it. There's no other issues. It's just selfish. Just... Uh. Just a thought that just crossed my mind. See, here's these adults saying that there was an antidote. And clearly they're all dead. So, yeah. I, I, she I think, doesn't trust it, I guess, maybe? I, I think Liz had a point. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I mean, was, it's possible, yeah. She was just trying to save everyone from themselves. Find the antidote, destroy it. I, I, quite, quite possibly. You know what this reminds me of? Tizan reminds me of... Lex Luthor from like Superman. The fact that she, how can I describe this? She knows that this antidote can save people's lives, but not her theories or, you know, not her beliefs. And that drives her crazy. So I think that she's motivated and there's no proof to this, but I really do think that she's motivated to find this antidote so she can manipulate it to her own way. So people can believe in her beliefs. I mean, that's not far off from what she does. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <honest>. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she, yeah, she obviously gets all the ingredients and kind of, yeah, I kind of, I can see that. Mm -hmm. Right, right. It's, it's almost like in a sense where whenever she has an argument with someone, she knows that they're right, but she'll never admit it until she can speak on it in a way that she can say that she's right, with still admitting that mm -hmm. they're right as well. You guys know that I tend to defend Tyson. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know that I, I'm, I try to be very fair with her. But I gotta say, like, moving forward into the season, there's not a lot I can do to defend her mm -hmm. actions. Because her actions contradict what her, like, goal is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. You know, what it is she really wants. And I don't know what the writers are going for. Again, maybe it's just a product of the writers didn't know what they were doing and they just needed Tyson to behave in a certain way. Or it could just be Tyson growing up and not being so certain of what she believes. But it's it's badly done. I, I can't really defend it. I can't. Even though, again, I, I love season two. I think it's great. <laughs> and I, I love Tyson in season two most of the time. <laughs> I think this virus, this antidote storyline is, I understand its purpose. And I think they do a good job with it in some ways. But in other ways, it pushes characters 
I don't know. I still almost feel like season two gets better after we're done with the antidote. Yes, mm-hmm. I absolutely 100% agree. Yeah, and um, I agree what you said about um, Tizen in season two being pretty good besides all of her, you know, the things that you would <laughs> love to hate her for. <laughs> um, but just thinking of it, because in the entirety of season two, so many characters get like a new uh, appearance, you know? And mm-hmm. I think out of all the characters, I think Tizen looks the best her look is my absolute favorite mm-hmm. in season two yeah i love it hands down yeah i mean speaking of new looks and everything like this episode introduced a lot of like new music and what i felt was like improved cinematography like did you catch it when you mm-hmm. first watched yeah it probably, it's i probably, probably didn't <laughs> i mean i think if i had seen it in order and i'd had to wait after season one was over i had to wait until season two aired i don't think i would have noticed it as much mm-hmm. But because I was able to watch the all these seasons, all these episodes, right on top of each other, all at the same time, it's much easier to compare them. So yeah, I definitely have always noticed that season two, it's like immediately you can see the kids have grown up, you know, you're looking for inconsistencies in the makeup, you're like, oh, your face filled out a bit, you know what I mean? Just stuff, little details, you can tell that it's different, time is different, the season has changed, the music is definitely got a more orchestral like, they really filled out the mm-hmm. OBR, and, um, yeah, the cinematography looks fantastic, camera work, you know. Even things like, that's not where the look, that's a nice replica of the barricade, but that's not where you shot it originally, you know. <laughs> mm. Oh, I didn't even notice that. It was in yeah. a different location. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Season two is just, it's just interesting in itself. And you can kind of tell that they, um, or at least to me, I, I feel like the show probably got a little bit more of a budget this season than they, what they had last season. I'm sorry. No, you're lying! She's gone. Now look, you and I are in the same boat. We've got to hold it together or this tribe's going to break apart. What do I care about the tribe? Before we get to that mysterious new tribe, um, yeah, just to wrap things up a bit, how did everyone feel about that really pivotal scene between Lex and Bray um, discussing the character deaths? I liked it, but of course I did. You know, I think it was a really good moment between the two of them. I think it was very fitting that Lex would offer to be the one to tell him. Um, and I think it really showed like where their characters are you know, as individuals and as not necessarily friends, but tribe mates. Uh, I just, I, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. It made sense to me, you know. I get why Trudy would be the first to offer it, to tell him, but it made more sense for Lex to tell him. And Bray's reaction as a first reaction to learning the person you love just died. Yeah, it made sense to me. Mm-hmm. I think Bray and Lex's performances are the high point of the episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because they're, they, we get to at least feel what everyone's feeling. And they're able to act it out and show us. And it's cathartic. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, you're grieving too. You just found out these characters are dead. And nobody's sad about it, really. And finally, here's someone expressing it. What you feel. Like, who it is? Are you kidding me? This is horrible. And you're like, yeah, good. Someone's finally saying it. You know, it, it's very well performed and it is a beautiful moment between these boys, this bonding moment. We've both lost something, you know. They've come and, full circle, it feels. Yeah. And 
to have Lex be the one saying, if we don't keep it together, this, this tribe is going to fall apart. For Lex to be the voice of reason, while Bray is having the emotional outburst, and it's just, ah, it's very good. I'm getting chills, actually. Yeah, it's about saving it, like, like, Yeah. Very well acted, yeah. and finally someone's responding the way we're feeling inside, mm -hmm. finding out this happened, and Lex holding it in, like, he can't mm -hmm. even say out loud that Zondra's dead. He stops in his tracks. I just wanted to be able to tell you because I know what you're feeling because you're not the only one and then he has to stop and it's ah, it's just really well done. Yeah. Yes, it's very sad <laughs> and I, I, I loved it. We needed that. I really think we needed that, you know. Mm -hmm. And Bray just going out there with a, what do I care about the tribe? I care about what happened to my girlfriend. Which I get, you know, and to have him, you know, be like, why? Why should we care, you know? It's a very rational first reaction to hearing something Absolutely. Like this. Yes. Like, don't talk to me about the tribe. I just found out that the person I love is gone. You know? And it was good to see one of them at least thinking that, mm -hmm. you know, and then vocalizing it. And like, we don't get much of that, as Liz said, you know, it's definitely a saving grace with, with Bray and, and, and Lex in this episode. See, with Bray, we at least do get to see the process. We see the initial grief, the outburst, we see the initial, I'm not, I'm not going back. I give up. I'm done. This hurts too much. We get to see him have to deal with that. I mean, it all happens very quickly, but at least we get to see his emotional journey, even though it's super mm -hmm. fast. Yeah. We get to see him go from the anger, the denial, the, the bargaining, the depression, and finally choosing to go back because it's what Amber would have done, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And for him, the whole, it's what Amber would have done. It actually means something, I think. Yeah. Whereas the others say it, you know, to use it as a means to get other people to do it or right. to do mm -hmm. something, you know, for, for Bray to say it, it, it came from his heart. He knows this is exactly mm -hmm. what she would have done and she would have. It was very fitting because of how much yeah. Amber inspired Bray to get his act yes. together. Yes. You know, she was yes. his inspiration to be a better person, mm -hmm. to make the change that he wanted to see in the world. So it makes sense for Bray to say, she would never have given up. I can't. I I can't let her death be in vain. Yeah. I have to do what she would have done. You know. Um. It yeah. just means more when he says it. Other characters say it doesn't. It doesn't no. hit as much. You know. I think it's kind of sad. You know, the whole thing. Like, cause it's just both of them kind of go in opposite directions, and it makes me sad because we know the direction Lex is going to go from here on out. You know, and <laughs> it it's 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 just a very sad moment for me because it's like, this really was what set him back on that track. Maybe if she would have lived, you know, yeah, he would have continued to, to be the Lex that we were starting to, mm -hmm. en to enjoy and to love. Hold that thought. Cause yeah, we will get to Lex in a second. I know. I know. <laughs> Sorry. Some questionable things that happened. Yeah. One second before we get to that though. Um, yeah, panel, what did you make of this strange new tribe that we glimpsed? glimpse so out in the mountains we see them worshiping zoot and as they see the satellite in the sky they take this as a long-awaited sign that it's from him um yeah i mean what were your immediate thoughts what were you thinking like did you like i know it? someone's <laughs> excited who me <laughs> <laughs> go on my first response was yay religious idiots <laughs> just you know it intrigues me it intrigued me back then 
And yeah, just to see them standing there with their robes and their altar, it just, yeah. Mm-hmm. I really liked the way they were introduced as something scary out there who's, you know, worshipping a dead guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't recall being impressed or anything. I just, I saw them and I was like, oh, okay, this is the introduction to our newest threat for the season. You know, in the same way that we were introduced to locos and demon dogs running all over the place in the first episode of season one, establishing that these are the kind of people our heroes will have to be worried about. You know, we know that the locos don't really exist anymore at this point. They've disbanded, they've fallen apart, they've died off, all kinds of stuff. So who's the person, who's the group we need to worry about now? You know, so that's what I thought when I saw The Chosen. I'm like, oh, okay, they are being set up as our new threat. I don't know why they're our new threat, or what they might do, but it's pretty ominous that they worship a dead kid. Yeah, no, I, I think my first initial reaction was I felt like I missed an episode. Like, I had missed something. I was like, who are these people? Like, I didn't even put into mm-hmm. correlation that this was going to be this new bad tribe. I just honestly thought I missed something. And then once I figured out who they were, I was like, oh, this should be interesting. <laughs> yeah, when I first watched it, I was thinking, oh, this is this is great because this is such a classic um sort i'm looking for a trope mm-hmm. of sci-fi apocalypse type thing you know you have that cult of you know people who believe in certain things and they're just out there looming around and um yeah i didn't know i didn't know what kind of path they were gonna go from this and um but it made me curious to to learn more about them something i did find odd though they have pictures of zoot Thank you for bringing it up, Sabine. Yes. <laughs> How on earth do they have pictures of Zoot printed out and not Polaroid size? How on earth do they have most pictures? Witchcraft? Yeah. I don't know. Zoot be praised? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be a bit of a downer, but um, I, I have lots of issues with this whole <laughs> Zoot legacy issue. I don't think that Zoot had built up enough of a legacy that we'd seen to justify the creation of the <laughs> That's my whole issue with the chosen. Ah, oh, shucks. <laughs> this introduction well, irks me quite You can argue that. Like, what, fighting what, words. What, what's his legacy? What, what has he actually done to create such a ze- zealous group f- to follow him? I mean, aside from having, you know, total control over the city for like seven to eight months, you know, and in Apocalypse, that's like a lifetime for these kids. Uh, right. And and it's also the the point that I brought up earlier about when Zandra and Amber are dead, you remember them at the peak of their prime and what they're mm-hmm. known what they're known for. Yep. And for Zoot to die literally when he had the entire sections, you know, in the, in his grasp, that kind of you know, that leaves a that leaves a feeling on people. Uh, I, I see what you mean, but that's the thing, but how do you get from like this leader to a god figure? That's there's this massive gap between those two instances, and that just, that wasn't shown at all. <laughs> Is there though? Yeah, I don't see where you're coming from, Lance, because I agree. As much as I like Zoot in the only you know the eight episodes we get to see bits and pieces of him, as intriguing as I do think he is, I don't think. Um, he, I agree. I don't think he really earned this kind of godlike status. And I have trouble believing that the kids 
would have done this. But I do think the one thing that they did well is that religious zealotry is what would come next. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it would be him, I'm not sure. But I do think you would eventually get some cults like this popping up, yeah. you know, in this. And so it's like, the fact that they use Zoot, it doesn't bother me too much. But would I have been heartbroken if they hadn't used Zoot? Would I have felt like, like, I don't feel like Zoot was the natural evolution to being a god in this world. And that he's the only one they could have ever done it with. You know, it's like, they could have used someone else and I wouldn't have felt that things were any different. But I get why they used this character and what he had done and the connection he has to other characters, especially since they wanted to pull Trudy and Brady and Bray and all that stuff to get involved. Mm. So I agree with you that, you know, I don't think he earned this gold like status, but I'm also not like, <laughs> I don't hate it. It's like, okay. Like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, it makes sense to me because if you kind of look at it, the actual world and sometimes like music, music's like the best example of it. You know, you look at certain artists who passed away at a very young age, but at their peak of their prime and they're considered the empalage of the, or, you know, like the God tier of that genre of music. No, that makes sense to me. Yeah. No, I can see that too. Yeah. Yeah. Same for acting too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These kids needed something to believe in. I think that's a big thing, too, you know, is the needing something to believe in after all this time. Right. Um, yeah, but how much time had passed? I don't know that. That's the thing between Zoot dying and then now. Uh, yeah, that's true. It's about, like, seven weeks since his death. Yeah, I, I mean, I do, I do hear what you're all saying about this legacy, but... <sighs> <laughs> I, I have a very soft spot for Zoot. <laughs> Oh. So, much like I do Bray. <laughs> no, it's just, the whole Chosen thing is just an interesting, uh, it's just an interesting ideology that they're just introducing to the entire city. You know, you, whether you think it's right or wrong. And, you know, with with Tysan, they were already starting kind of this spiritual, you know, type of, of thing. So, having the next group be this religious cult, I guess, isn't too surprising and it's a kind of nice continuance right right you know one thing i kind of think about now thinking about cults and things like that people putting people in such god tiers of examples i'm thinking like every single um notable tribe leader right and then if they're just a god for their own tribe and like their kind of ideologies you know kind of like greek mythology but like ram is like only believes in technology. <laughs> Zoo only believes in chaos. Kind of like uh, uh, what? And power. Yeah, and power. Um, yeah, I, I just think that's pretty interesting. You kind of look at this entire series in terms of like mythology. I like how it plays with the idea of what people can use your memory for, how they can take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. You know, we all know that Zoo was, Martin was just a kid who couldn't handle the fact that his parents died. It's like he died, and it's a shame, but he didn't die in some glorious blaze of fire. He fell. He literally just fell, and it wasn't glorious. And um, his life was snuffed out. There's nothing beautiful about it. It's a tragedy. And so when you think of someone like The Chosen coming along and turning him into something that he never was, making up stories around him, the legend of he and Trudy, you know, think about the stories they had to have told to make that make sense to their followers. Instead of mm-hmm. it being, 
hey, he was an awkward 15-year-old boy who liked a girl who preferred his brother. That's not the story they told. They had to change it into some operatic, you know, souls intertwined and, you know, she's a supreme mother. She was chosen. And it's like, Brady was an accidental pregnancy, but she's painted to be this divine being who was meant to be here. And it's something really disturbing knowing that people can say whatever they want when you're gone and you're not there to argue the point. Would Zoot have agreed with anything the Chosen said about him? Would he have agreed with anything they decided to do in his name, in his honor? It's really unsettling knowing that once you're gone, you have no say in what people make of you. You know, that's interesting you say that because um, one way to look at it, I don't think a lot of people did know about that life from Zoot, of him being such Mm -hmm. an awkward teenager and him basically all this started just from him being heartbroken and just you know can't grieve for his parents and the other is just you know that's that's kind of what happens when you have such leaders and people doing such prominent things and if they just die uh out of nowhere they kind of become like a martyr but that's the thing nobody but the mole rats knew what actually happened to zoot yeah, and everybody just knows that he's dead. Well, not even all of the Marats knew. Yeah, you know, like, that's the thing, is nobody actually knows, like, how he's dead or if he's even actually dead besides yeah. Ebony and the Marats. So, I... I yeah. Don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, also, another thing with that is there's a quote I really like that kind of sums up why people believe Zoot as this kind of... Or why why the Chosen even exists from Zoot. And I believe the quote says it's... Uh, history is just a group of, of events that people have agreed that actually happened even if it didn't happen mm-hmm. they just agreed that it that it did happen but yeah that can be said about most religion yeah so that just sums uh zoot and the whole call chosen up perfectly jaffa literally just had to create a legend around him he had to add meaning to yeah. stuff that zoot did that had no meaning Zoot didn't have a purpose behind these things, but Jaffa had to spin it. He had to be a PR agent to be like, oh, no, Zoot wasn't just being an ordinary kid burning books. He had to make up a symbolism for why Zoot burned those books. And kids bought it because, like Sabine says, they needed something to believe in. And that's what Jaffa did. He spun the most ordinary things that Zoot had done and spun it in a way of giving it poignancy and there's a kid out there going, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense to me. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it makes way more sense than finding out your leader was just a strung out kid throwing a temper tantrum. Instead, it's yeah. like, no, no, this is what he meant. This is what Zoot, I mean, Jocko was writing books. He has books for the chosen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to study yeah. about Zoot's beliefs and what he is. And it's not who he was. And Jocko knows that. He just made it up. Jaffa was much, much smarter than a lot of people gave him credit for. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is I was gonna show, you know, it was it shows the the intricacies and 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 what Jaffa had to do to make all of this work, and it just is amazing. I think it's it's absolutely amazing. I think part of what made that work is that it got to a point that Jaffa started believing in it himself. Oh, for sure. And if you believe in something strongly enough. And you're someone who's able to just tell people what you want and what your beliefs are and convince them of that. Yeah, I, I think right. that makes him both smart and dangerous. 
See, I think he he believed it from the very beginning. I don't think he didn't he didn't didn't need convincing, and we will see that kind of you know later on in the season when we we get the flashbacks and stuff, you know. Um, and it just yeah, it just shows his mindset. Yeah, he was already out of it before mm. all the adults were gone. Yeah, and who knows what his original background is? It was Jaffa who needed something to cling to. He needed yeah. he needed it, and he wanted everybody else to need it too. Yeah, you know, the more the more I think about it, I think Jaffa really reminds me of uh, the story of Joan of Arc. If anyone's familiar with that, mm-hmm. just someone who someone who just believes in a certain thing, and they hear voices telling them that, "Hey, the person that I believe in told me that we should do this, and we should go to war with these people, and we should, you know, do this and do that." But in actuality. It's just uh, them being mentally ill <laughs> and them not accepting the, the harsh realities of their uh, of what's happening to them. I don't think Jaffa wanted to believe, believe, really believe that Zoot was really, really gone forever. Exactly, yeah. I mean, this was the one person he was holding on to and looking up to. Right. I don't actually agree with that. I don't believe that Jaffa saw Zoot as some kind of god. I definitely think he admired him. Absolutely. Mm. And I do think Zoot gave Jaffa something to believe in as the world is coming to an end. You know, I think Jaffa was like many kids. They were looking to the adults for reassurance and realizing that they have no true reassurance to give you. And here comes this kid who stands up in the classroom and straight up tells the adults, nothing you say matters because you're all dying. You're dead already. That was inspiring to Jaffa. Like, holy crap, this kid seems to have a handle thing. So I don't really worship him, but I do think he admired him and... I do think he may have had some unresolved issues when it came to Zoot and how he felt about him. And especially seeing Zoot with someone like Ebony, you know, someone who couldn't be, couldn't be any good for Zoot, you know, couldn't believe in him the way I believe in him. And then Zoot disappeared. And it's like, Ebony doesn't really have a good answer for it, you know? And she doesn't take him in a direction that would make sense to Jaffa. And so he did his own thing. I don't think he was crazy. I don't believe, like I said, I don't believe he actually thought Zoot was a god or any of that. I think he made a lot of it up to comfort himself. Like you said, he needed something to believe in. Yeah, that's what you know. And I think eventually he just fell in love with the idea mm-hmm. of being the special one, the voice of Zoot. I was mm-hmm. looking at him, you know, imagining this relationship. You know, maybe they didn't actually have that relationship. You know, Zoot might not have even known Jaffa's name, but in Jaffa's head, he was special, you know, and. He just created this world and then kind of started believing it. Yep. The way they showed it, though, it was beautiful. Jaffa loves the pomp and circumstance. <laughs> he loves it. He made all this stuff up because he likes it. He wanted to wear a robe. He wanted to sprinkle mm. flowers on boats. He's got people carrying all this heavy insignia. He wanted all this ceremony stuff. Hey, he wanted the power. He got it. And that's what it is, yeah. I think he likes knowing that what he says, people will do. Yeah. And because that's the kind of power that Zoot had. And I do believe he emulated Zoot, and he might have had a minor obsession with him. I mean, when I say minor, I mean minor during the time that they knew each other. They were in, you know, that Zoot was alive. And now, yeah, I mean, it's a major obsession. Well, it's major because now he can create their relationship to be yeah. anything he wants. Exactly. But I'm, I, I like to imagine that in the beginning, Jaffa didn't even have a plan for the Chosen. It was just an excuse to create this relationship with Zoot. 
But eventually, in order for, to keep people doing this stuff, he had to come up with a mission statement. <laughs> so he's like, huh, well, okay. I gotta come up with something that we're, the whole point of us doing. What would Zoot want us to do, you know? <laughs> Let's see what I can convince you guys to do. That wasn't nice. You'll be kicked out of this tribe before you've even joined. You wouldn't let them do that, would you, Lex? You want a bed? Creep. You don't fool me. You could have split this morning, but you didn't. You want the antidote for the same reason I do. Power and chaos, right? You can't do it on your own, Lex. A king needs a queen. Turning back to the more rats for a moment. Though he's initially grief-stricken and willing to return to the tribe, Bray does eventually have a change of heart and catches up with them, immediately going back into leader mode as he splits the group into two. So one group returns to the mall and the others attempts to find the antidote. And it's while hunting for the antidote in the sea that Ebony finds herself alone with Lex and she tries to get him on side, believing that he wants it for the same reason that she does. And she even goes as far as to flirt with him. And this is my immediate question here, kind of, because what do you make of Lex's immediate reaction and do you think he wasn't as forceful in rejecting her as he should have been? I think Lex is just emotionally vulnerable yeah. right now and can't be judged for his reaction because she's, she's get, trying to get into his head. She's trying to take advantage of his emotional vulnerability right now. So I, I really, I understand that maybe he should have been like, had a more knee-jerk, hell no, I wouldn't go near you. But I think Lex is just, his headspace, it can be completely forgiven that he didn't even know what to say to that. Yeah, absolutely. I do think that where he goes from there, you know, is... Because <sighs> I don't even think Lex knows why he's here still. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't need the antidote. And he doesn't seem like an, his immediate thought isn't, I want power. He's still grieving. I don't even think Lex has gotten a handle on what it is he wants or what he's even doing. I think mm -hmm. that... Tysan was onto something when she's like, if you don't need us, then why are you even coming with us? I think right now Lex is just on board because he does need his tribe right now. He needs a distraction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Ebony coming up on him, I just don't think he's even sorted his own thoughts out enough to have a reaction to what she said. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. She's just gross. That's all I can say. Yeah, she <laughs> is gross. Stop it. Sorry, Meryl. <laughs> yeah yeah i agree i think i do think it shows that how uh how smart ebony is she knows how to or what to say to the certain types of people to try to you know manipulate them for her for her use because she, she would only say something like that to lex yeah yeah she's a master she knows how to talk to people hey, she's smart enough not to say something like this to bray yes mm-hmm Mm -hmm. Oh, give her time. <laughs> <laughs> why do you think, well, why do you think she wanted to go with Lex? I mean, mm -hmm. she saw him as the weakest link yes. at this moment. Yes. Yep. Because, like you said, when you see her on the mountain, she's poking, she's pulling at strings of how mm -hmm. can I manipulate this group? And she's seeing the people who would refuse to be manipulated by her. And, okay, I can't get anywhere with this person, can't get anywhere with this person. Lex is the most emotionally vulnerable that she can get her hands on right now. He's the easiest. Mm -hmm. And so that's who she goes for. You know, she pulls the whole, look, Lex, I know what he did you was wrong. Sorry. We know she's not sorry. We know she doesn't care, oh. you know, but she's saying whatever she needs to, to get an allyship with him. You know, mm -hmm. that's all she cares about. And so she goes for the, the femme fatale angle. 
Maybe that'll work. Whatever it's going to take to get this guy in my corner, I'm going to work on him. Yeah. She knows it won't work on Bray at this point in time. Absolutely not. Yeah, she can't approach Bray right now, so she doesn't bother. Yeah, and I think she would have seceded, too, if, if you know, if Tyzan wasn't there. Mm, not sure. No, I don't think that Lex would have. I honestly don't. Not on um, the day he buried his wife. No, because they were doing it for the tribe. You know, that's the only reason they were going with Rizandra was for the baby, the tribe. Um, and I, I, I feel like it kind of shows, you know, he does have a loyalty to the tribe. And not to Ebony. Right. I always felt like the whole splitting up part. Again, I recognize the writer's trick. Like, I understand that they need Bray to be by himself mm-hmm. so they can establish this new character to take on Amber's role. I understand. They're under a time crunch. They got to get her in there. But it's like, you guys, you you should have been way more subtle about this. Like, the way you break up the group so that Bray is conveniently on his own. I, I'm, uh, it just feels a little contrived. Mm-hmm. The way they yeah. set this up. Yeah. Again, it's also very rushed, so that doesn't help either. And um, and it starts to make Eagle Mountain feel like a waste of time that we're back in the city, and this is where the antidote was all along. And it's so quick, and I I'm like, you guys, I can see in between your writing, I can see you. I understand you probably didn't have a lot to work with, but <laughs> kind of drives me crazy. That brings me to my next point because. We saw how difficult it was for them to leave the city. And then we have them leaving Jack and Dow on their own to scout out this one location. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? <laughs> what I'm saying? Oh, they are a couple, huh? <laughs> Suddenly, none of it's a danger. And I mean, they went through puberty overnight, so now maybe they think they're men? Literally... Four days ago, they left the city, yeah. and it was it was a war zone. Yeah. Four days I know, ago, I know. And now it's like, oh, no big <laughs> deal. Let's just split up and go look for these places yeah. without any forethought or planning or supplies. Nothing. It's gonna be fine. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, speaking of writing, like, did they really need to find the antidote this fast? No, no. Why couldn't this have been a few Come episodes of, yeah. of you know them searching for it and uh, why? Yeah, it didn't have to. I thought they were going to do something like you know everyone split up their own ways, and each episode we're just going to get so many different stories of everyone just off by themselves going on their own adventures, and then eventually mm-hmm. they'll come together as one, and it's going to be like this huge moment. But nope, that's just not what happened. Nope. I actually, I have no, I have no problem with the storyline as is. Like, okay, they go back to the city, they split up. This is the group that finds the antidote. This group finds the destroyed building. This person finds this person. I am totally fine with that storyline. I am not fine with it happening all within 20 minutes. I'm just... No, me neither. No, me absolutely not. That is my problem, that I don't have time to absorb anything that's happening I don't have time to care about anything that's happening. And we accomplished so much in one episode. I'm like, I get it. You got to get your chess pieces in place. But you kind of, you, you shot yourself in the foot doing this. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, us being introduced to Danny like we were was such a, well, who cares kind of moment, you know? <laughs> I think the way they rushed this episode was also probably why we remembered the ending of season one differently. 
why we thought a part of this episode was in the previous episode, because there's just too much going on for one episode. Yeah. The first five minutes definitely should have been the last five minutes of the last episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this episode, everything that's covered in it, should have at least been two. I understand season yeah. two, they want to pick up the pace, and I'm totally fine with them doing that. But this should have been split into at least two episodes. I personally would have stretched it into three. But for them, and the pace they want to keep, and all the story they have to tell, they should have given us two episodes for all of this content. Yeah transition the, the viewers into this new story and everything all these changes and yeah let's talk about that last scene with bray because i am not gonna lie panel honestly as soon as she turned up i knew exactly what they were doing and i hate Me too. yeah like I, I wasn't that stupid. I was like, come on, really? I know exactly who she's meant to be, what you're doing. I, I knew it straight away from that one scene. Like, yes. what, what, do you, what do you think? So, so clumsy. This was, yeah. And I, I feel bad for Danny because they screwed this character over from the moment they introduce her. You know, this is not the way you introduce a character. Now, mm. I get it. There, there are people who like her, and that's awesome. I'm not, I'm not, this is not this discussion. This is not how you introduce a character who is literally meant to replace one we just lost. And just lost that one to death. <laughs> Regardless of whether or not you yeah. like Amber, this is not how you introduce her replacement. Not if you want her to be a successful character. You know, I, I felt bad because they screwed Danny from the very beginning. It has no subtlety. Like, even if you need, if, even if, like, whatever, you had to introduce Danny in this episode because you've got to get her storyline going. Okay, I'll forgive that. Does it need to be D- Bray who introduces her? Like, is that, like, why are yeah. you taking yes. Ramblers in the <laughs> face with mm-hmm. it? That is cool. That's, that's my exact freaking thought. I'm like, if she had been introduced in any other way by any other character, <laughs> I think it could have been, it, it could have been, she would have been tolerable and it would have been more, she would have been more accepted, you know? I'm not but, even a Bramber, and I'm like, that isn't yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. It's absolutely <laughs> not. Brambers are still crying in their handkerchiefs. The, 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 the ship isn't even dead in its grave. Right. Yeah. And you've already shown its replacement. You're taunting the Brambers with like, guess who's here? The poor Brambers like, why are you doing this to us? I'm like, you guys are cruel. This isn't right to you. And you've set them up to hate this girl when they could have loved yep. her. You know what I mean? Come on, Sabine. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) You must have felt it, too. Yes, express your joy, Sabine. I did not feel bad for (laughs) Brown. Of course you didn't. (laughs) I mean, my first response to Danny was, first we see the white clothing, and for a split second, I wondered if she was part of the group we saw earlier, but obviously she's not one of the chosen. But she's there with her crossbow, and I just love the moment with the crossbow. Did I want her to shoot Bray? Probably at that point in time. But I I had no issue with her being introduced. I did have an issue with it being in this episode already. Because, you know, they could have waited an episode. It's all right. I think Trudy, her attitude towards everything sums up pretty much everybody else's <laughs> attitude towards it all. <laughs> Oh, yes, it will. <laughs> I just wish the writers had been more considerate of yes. the character they created. And um, there's so many better ways they could have introduced her that would have set Danny on the right foot. Again, because you got to remember, I 
have problems with Danny and they have nothing to do with Amber. Because I was introduced to Danny before Amber. Yeah. So I wasn't one of those people who was like, I've lost Amber and I hate her replacement. I didn't know Danny as a replacement. She was just Danny. So my feelings for her are for Danny alone. And I still feel like they did a terrible job introducing her, you know, and setting her up. And I'm just like, you guys screwed the pooch on her. Um, this character had so much potential and you started her off on the wrong foot. Not cool. She deserved better than that. That's one thing I can agree on. I can agree on the fact that she did deserve better. Definitely. Definitely. Because we've seen replacing characters done before, and they've done been done well. And it's like, I don't feel like they were even trying that hard here. No. So first, I just want to say, this is arguably my favorite sequence in the entire Tribe series. Like, when you get Lex, like, testing out if it's the antidote or not, and then we get... Uh, Bray walking in this weird building in this hallway and whenever they play that music that tribal chant music mm -hmm. you knew something epic was about to happen and I don't know I just love this scene so much and as far as us uh, being introduced to Danny at this moment I can tell that there's going to be a severe case of what I like to call television stepmother syndrome <laughs> where <laughs> Amber is pretty much the mom of the entire TV show, and Danny is now replacing her as like the stepmom. And fans are not going to be too, you know, accept accepting of that. I can see that. So, yeah, I knew I knew what they were doing, kind of. But at the same time, I was so into the story to the point where I just want to know who this is. I want to know more about her, and because mm -hmm. uh, I mean, by far. Just looking at her, Danny, her outfit and her appearance yeah. is pretty top notch in terms of tribe characters. Mm -hmm. So there is still hope for me at this certain point of looking looking at her at this moment. But how does she keep that outfit so crispy white? Look yeah. where she's living. <laughs> well, she's still at. A, oh well, this isn't her home, right? This is just it's some a dad's apartment. It's a dad's yeah, okay. Yeah, I was gonna say. So yeah, she probably, you know, laundry. Does yeah, not have surgeon. running water. <laughs> she can still find water somewhere. I think she looks amazing. Very mm -hmm. iconic. Um, definitely. I've, I've always loved the way Danny looks. Mm -hmm. But I did feel it was really on the nose. Like for her replacement. I'm like, you have Amber who tended to wear black. And of course she's got this beautiful beacon of blonde Zulu knots. That was her iconic look. And now you've got Danny... Who's legit in the opposite. I'm like, I, <laughs> guys, it's a sledgehammer. Come on. <laughs> Subtlety writers. <laughs> this is so fucking obvious. Um, that's always like my only complaint about Danny's look. Is I'm like, <laughs> guys, I mean, I get it. I get it. It's, ugh. <laughs> but, yeah, nobody. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I just have one thing about. Bray going into that building that still annoys me to this day. He kicks down the, he puts that down his bag, kicks in the door, and leaves his bag outside. Yeah, he's pretty cool. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need his bag. I'm just going shit real quick. Yeah, <laughs> your necessary supplies and yeah, walk right into an ambush because yep. I'm Bray, <laughs> and I'm fabulous. <laughs> Aside from the personal stuff, though, I think it's all shot really well. Yeah. Like, yeah. The introduction of Danny visually, mm -hmm. through everything else, it looks amazing. Yes. You know, her walk, I love the the lighting, 
there's this really great shot profile of Bray's face before he enters a room and the mm-hmm. shadows that fall on it and this is Danny's hands grabbing that crossbow. It is brilliantly shot. That's that is absolutely gorgeous. Love all of that. Yeah, I agree. And I think that definitely has something to do again, maybe maybe the budget again for season two. Cause you can tell certain some of these scenes, there's like some type of fog or mist happening like within the hallways or where these characters are, and then the light is just beaming straight through, looking amazing. Yeah, but again, this episode is directed by Costa Boat, just like some of the best episodes from last season or at least mm. the best ones to look at mm. that is good visual eye that costa mm-hmm. well you know you know what thinking well from working in production now i'm starting to think maybe they changed cinema cinematographers mm-hmm. or you know different people who work at the lighting department or whatever they film there i need to check but i feel like they did because some of the yeah. shots were really well framed like the the grave markers and yeah Danny's scene and mm-hmm. it was really well shot and staged yeah the camera movement mm-hmm. very dynamic oh yeah I did love the um, destroyed Eagle Mountain set by the way did everyone yeah. else oh, yeah. Wow. yeah yeah that was nice mm-hmm. it was nice to, nice to get to go back inside and see it you know yeah it's also kind of soul destroying when you think about where they put the graves they clearly wanted to find a good place for their friends, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they didn't want them too close to the observatory. So they legit carried their friends' bodies all the way down this road where they would have a view on the ridge of the mountainside. That's where they left their friends. That was a conscious choice, you guys. Wait, wait. Is it a conscious choice, though? I think it's a choice Ebony made for them. <laughs> I was just about to say it. I'm not. I'm not getting into that. I'm not. I'm not getting into that ridiculous retcon. I'm just I'm saying. Just Ebony's like this location looks nice. This is pretty. This is practical. Lex carried Zandra, but Ebony carried Amber. <laughs> I mean, that that still irks me to this day. How can they not have known? And what on earth did Ebony carry there? I'm not bringing this up. This didn't happen. <laughs> and why would they just trust her? You know? It didn't happen. That's why, you guys. At this <laughs> point, we have friends and buried friends. That's what happened. Okay? I guess he just found a dolly inside. Everyone must happened. have just been concussed. At this moment in time, Amber and Zandra were both carried out there. That's the mm. reality we're living in right now. Yep. Uh, yeah. Okay, let's, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> You guys are try- you try to destroy my day. Sorry. <laughs> trying to kill my kill my soul. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> I'm trying to talk about the beauty of the scene. You guys, hey, remember the storyline you hate? <laughs> um, um, yeah, we'll, we'll come back to this in season three. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> Lovely. Mm. But first, more chosen. Um, yeah, just to wrap up the episode. Um, yeah, what were your thoughts about the end credits? Because we see some really unusual scenes in there, um, and some that we find out aren't actually in an episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, what were your thoughts? 
at first I was like, ooh, that looks interesting. Why are they wearing all colorful robes and carrying the baby just like... And they're wearing robes in the style of the strangers we saw on the mountain who worship Zoot. Mm-hmm. Then that Lion King scene on top of that. <laughs> that <was laughs> my favorite scene ever. <laughs> I love it. And one thing that really got to me in that in those credits was the moment. I mean, it spoils things by seeing Bray dance with Danny. Yeah. But we see Trudy dancing with Zoot. I love it. And my brain just goes, "Wait!" But he was dead. We're sure he's dead, right? I just remember um, when watching the show, being really disappointed that after I had finished like the first three seasons, and none of those scenes had happened. Yeah, and I, I kept like, waiting oh. for them. I kept same. waiting. For Absolutely, them. I was yeah. like, same. Where is that? Because they were really nicely shot. They were very mm-hmm. exciting, and I was like, "Ooh, you know, everybody gets together with Lex." When does that freaking happen? Yes. It doesn't. I was very confused about that. I didn't know that it was um, Trudy and Zoot. You know what I mean? Um, because they didn't look like him. So I was like, who's this guy that Trudy gets to hook up with? He doesn't exist. Sorry. You know what I mean? Trudy isn't allowed happiness. So I was disappointed that none of that stuff actually ended up happening. Yeah. Yeah, me too. For me personally, since I've started watching this series like literally 20 years <laughs> after it was aired i kind of knew that i needed to stay away from everything uh media related to avoid spoilers so i didn't watch the end credits at all for my first watch through for any of the seasons yeah i didn't know there was music videos until i started season five i do it makes me wonder about the shooting schedule like um did they film those music videos before they released the season, you know what I mean? I'm like, how much work? How, they had these kids working around the clock, especially in yeah, season two. Like, I can't, oh, yeah. I can't imagine the burnout some of them must have had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you think about it, there's 52 episodes in the season, and there's 52 weeks in it. You know, like that was like the wasn't that the first year they went on tour, and then of course they have the album, and they have all these music videos mm-hmm. for promotion. Mm-hmm. I'm like, these kids were busting their asses. Mm-hmm. I think the tour was done between season two and three, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I remember seeing um, I remember seeing some videos on YouTube of all of them on that tour. Yeah, I remember. I think by the end of season one, the tribe had like was massively was really popular in the UK. Mm-hmm. So I know they started doing lots of interviews, and I'm guessing that's why they did all the music videos and everything after that. But yeah, the tour wasn't until a little bit later. Yeah, because they they did visit London in '99 and 2000, but. Mm. Let's see the tours. The other tours were in 2003. I loved the new song, though. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I thought I loved The Dream of Stay Alive, but Abba Messiah. Oh, yeah. That was my gospel. That was my jam. <laughs> Even, and that's so weird. And I'm like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, man. So the oh, tribal, yeah. the humming. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. <laughs> Probably my favorite song out of the, all of the albums. Love Abba Messiah. Yeah. It gets me going. It gets my heart warm. Mm-hmm. It just makes me. It brings out all my love for the show. I just oh, freaking love it. Yeah, yeah. I think um, this is the place is mine. <laughs> <laughs> a good one. It was a kind of a, when I first heard it in that first episode. It was like a reminder that oh my gosh, we are in a new season. Mm-hmm. You know what? Forget what you know. Everything's about to change. Mm-hmm. I, I remember when I originally saw it. I I, was, I got so excited when I saw that. Like, 
the short scene of Alice putting on the wall paint. I was like, oh my god, she's oh, back! Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that got me really excited for the rest of the season. I was like, yes, at least at least Alice is back. <laughs> oh yeah. Cool. Uh, just finally, one quick question to everybody: What are you most looking forward to this season? Chosen. <laughs> that was obvious, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking forward to the growth in, in the mall rats, you know, and where that goes from. It goes, you know, goes. So we'll see. Um, I might be looking forward to Lex and Tyson. Mm. I really, I really enjoy their relationship and the way they both have to grow up. Um, and what they bring to each other's lives. Yeah, um, I think when I uh, first initially watched the first episode, I think the thing I was looking forward to the most was just, I guess just the tribe, just seeing how they're going to bounce back and keep developing as a family together. And then mm-hmm. now as I'm rewatching it, I think probably, honestly, Danny, just, you know, going over her uh, her decisions, her character. Because I do feel like she is a very important character, and she definitely needs to be talked about. Oh, we will talk about her. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could not talk about her if we wanted to. <laughs> no worries, Carlin. I'm Team Danny. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm Team Danny as of late, but definitely wasn't my first uh, watch through. And that brings series two, episode one, to a close. Thank you very much to the panel. And if you would like to take part in a future episode of Conversation on Eagle Mountain, then you can fill out the form available on our Facebook page or over on our website, thetribe.co.uk. So until episode two, bye. 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 Bye.